Hello and welcome to the third episode of the Keep Agile, Keep Farming podcast with your hosts Nick and Gwen. Now, are you looking for ideas to diversify your farm and add another stream of income? Have you considered dog walking fields, glamping or even travel foraging? Well, stay tuned because today we have Victoria Galligan with us, the editor of the Farm Diversity magazine, to talk through the possibilities. As part of her work, Victoria has obviously come across a lot of very different diversification projects and we are excited that she will share some of her observations today which could provide inspiration and practical advice to some of you. Victoria is a journalist by trade with a degree in journalism and English. She worked as a sub-editor for the National Press in the UK for quite some time before she moved into Euromedia who own a variety of trade and specialist magazines including Farm Diversity. But before we tap into some of Victoria's insights, we wanted to know a little bit about the Farm Diversity magazine and what it has to offer people embarking on their farm diversity journey to make more money out of their land. Well, we basically feature articles, um, case studies about farmers who have already diversified uh, and it could be into anything really from glamping to wedding menus, energy production, we've got distilleries in there, vineyards, we've got a range of farmers who have um, diversified in different ways. We also feature products and services which help people to diversify. We feature news about diversifying farms, uh, funding opportunities, Anything really that is marketing, anything that's interesting for people who are just setting out on their diversification journey. In the pandemic, we've done an online version of the magazine uh, and that's been emailed out to all of our email subscribers. So you can subscribe online and it's completely free to subscribe as well. And I mean, how how does this compare with um, the actual number of farmers who are currently engaged in uh, farm diversification activities. Could you put a figure on that as well? Well, yeah, I I did hear some recent um, percentages that apparently 65% of farmers have already diversified. And what we're finding now is that people who've already diversified don't just stop. They they put add-ons onto their diversifications or they go down another route or they team up with other farms and we're finding that it's continually a growing market. Have you seen an increase in farm diversification as a result of of COVID-19? As I, haven't, I haven't seen any um, from since COVID, no I haven't. The, the latest figures that I've seen were from the NFU, and I think they came out at the beginning of this year. Um, but no, I haven't seen anything post-COVID. Um, I, I've noticed that a lot of farm shops diversified into delivering food, and that was obviously at the start of the pandemic when shopping was hard to come by. That proved really popular, and the farm shops were doing uh, brilliantly in that aspect. Um, but no, I haven't seen any. Po- it would be interesting to see that uh, how COVID has affected um, the figures. But I have spoken to farmers who've diversified and asked them how COVID's affected them. 
Um, and they, they've all been quite positive and said, yes, they've had to adapt their businesses and they've had to um, perhaps bring in some new practices, but they've, they've managed to overcome the difficulties and, the, and they've come out better and stronger, really. Yeah. You couldn't sort of elaborate on uh, how they have adapted and what other practices they're they're bringing in as as a result of uh, the the restrictions. I mean, well, I mean, obviously home delivery is a good example, but are there any other examples at all? Yeah, I, I've got an example from um, a vineyard. It's called Kinsbrook Vineyard, and it's in the latest edition of Farm Diversity. And I asked how how the lockdown had affected the business, and they said they were able um, to adapt quickly with a converted horse box. Um, because they normally would get a lot of passing traffic and people would come into the vineyard and buy the wine. So they, because it was inaccessible, they took the horse box out onto the road and they were able to get passing traffic just to pull up at the side of the road and sell it on the roadside. And it's just it's just small things like that where farmers have been able to think outside the box really and um and with the home deliveries as well they've managed to because I, th- I think that was quite unheard of before wasn't it farm farm shop home delivery but they've managed to utilize the vehicles and the staff to get people to order online that's another important thing if you've got your online systems up and running it's a lot easier um, they've managed to ask people to order online do contactless payments or drive up to the farm shop and to sort of do a drive-through, drive-through shopping. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. That's that's quite a low-tech way of doing it, but it worked. It, I know that people in the local area here it, near Wigan um, were offering that service, so you could just drive into the farmyard, mm-hmm. have the cash over, or do a card transaction through your window, and someone will bring the bags to your car, and then you just load them up, so a bit like a click-and-collect service. Uh, so in an article on your website, I saw pet provision mentioned as one of the more niche projects to go into. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, that and possibly what has been the most unusual farm diversification project that you came across so far? Because I realize, I mean, you've probably came across a lot of different um, projects um, as part of your work with the magazine. Yeah, certainly. Um, the pet provision, I, th- I think, comes in, um, in twofold at the moment, really. One of the, the avenues that people are taking is offering dog walking fields. So the owner is in control of the dog at all times. Um, it's particularly useful for, for people who have dogs that aren't friendly with other dogs or who are frightened of other dogs or for some reason need to to be away from other dogs so that they book the field out for a certain amount of time, say half an hour. They know that it's a completely private field, it's also fenced off and um, so the dog can't run away. And they've got the peace of mind then that they can walk the dog in a in a quiet and private environment. Um, and as long as they've got a secure uh, but, but fencing in place, Mm-hmm. Um, it, that's that's t- really taking off at the moment. Um, and then the other one is um, doggy daycare that we've seen. There's quite a lot springing up across the country where people are taking the dogs for to be looked after. So they're leaving the dog all day and they've got other dogs to play with this sort of agility equipment for the dogs to run on. There's an indoor area, so maybe like a caravan unit or a 
a lorry container where the dogs can rest and shelter if it's bad weather. And there's always staff on site to keep the dogs entertained, to feed them, uh, play with them. Um, and the, the owner then gets sort of photographs sent during the day of the dogs playing or on a walk. Uh, and they know that the, the owner knows that the dog's being really well looked after. And they're also being socialised as well because they're mixing mm-hmm. with other dogs, which helps the dog's behaviour. So for, for working people, it's a really viable option. Um, and for farmers, it's it's a great one to consider because you don't need, again, you don't need a lot of change of use of your land. It needs to be accessible to people so they can come and drop, on, or drop off and pick up. And you need to get some kind of an indoor area um, set up. But it, it, it's easy and uh, um, sort of quite profitable as well people pay quite a premium to have the dogs looked after for the day. Um, I think you're looking at about £20, maybe more, for the for a full day of doggy daycare. I, th- I think the most unusual one for me was natural burial grounds. Um, I hadn't really come across that until last year. Uh, we d- I did feature it in an article on in Farm Diversity. Um, the article's up on our website. It's called Alternative Farm Diversification Projects You Should Know About. Um, and with the, with the burial grounds, it's been going on since 1993. So it's um, 27 years now. And it's just basically farmers offering a really peaceful area for um, people to be buried or for ashes to be spread. And it, they create sort of a little bit of a seating area, but it's completely natural, so it's unspiraled. And it, the idea is that it's a place for people to come and pay their respects in a nice, quiet, peaceful environment. It's not maudlings, no gravestones. Mm-hmm. It's um, very natural, beautiful opportunity, really, for people to create a burial place for their family, for themselves and their family. So that I think... Um, the latest figures were that there were 270 natural burial grounds in the UK. <clears throat> and ob- obviously there was a lot of sort of regulation around that, around you have to register and there is a lot of sort of paperwork to go through, a lot of planning. But once it's up and running, the, the benefits for the farmer is that it doesn't alter the land in any way, shape or form, really. It's literally the most natural form of diversification really that you can get. And any project that you are particularly um, passionate about um, in, in terms of farm diversification? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's loads because I think any, anybody who's taking the leap to diversify um, has to be passionate about, about what they're doing. So I think for me, Glamping's one of them. What one of our other magazines is Caravan Industry and Park Operator magazine. And and Farm Diversity came about really as an offshoot of that because we were seeing a lot of farmers go into the trade shows for the holiday parks and they were interested in setting up holiday parks, glamping sites, you know, pods, all sorts of glamping glamping um, accommodation. So the, 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 there's a bit of competition now in the glamping arena as to how you can create the most unusual accommodation. And it's obviously a great selling point and a great marketing point. There's sort of tree houses, 
that you can stay in fairy huts and underground bunkers, buses. We stayed in a helicopter, actually, my mm. husband and I, in um, Ray Green near Blackpool. And that, that's been um, a, a Lynx helicopter that's been converted into a sort of a double bed with a kitchen area, a tiny little kitchen area, you know, with a microwave and a kettle. Uh, mm-hmm. There's storage in there for your bags and and, and you, you're sleeping in a helicopter, there's decking at the side of it. Um, so it's just the, the, the Instagrammable factor, I think, as well nowadays that people are, are thinking about. So if, you, if you've got a really niche glamping idea, then go for it because it, it's it's the glamping arena at the moment is booming. Obviously not in November during the lockdown, but as soon as people can get out again and travel, like we saw in the summer, the, the campsites were absolutely booked up. Um, I think it was pitch up that was um, rumoured to have hardly any pitches left at all. At the last in the last week of August, people were just desperate to get out and go on a break somewhere in the UK. So it, it, it was already booming before coronavirus glamping. We were already on quite a, a glamping, a staycation boom, as we call it. But this year is is it's gone sort of tenfold. Um, and, and another uh, angle that I'm quite interested in is um, truffles as well. This is something that I discovered at a trade show. Um, and if, with the right sort of conditions, which have to be created in, in, in some places, but in some, in some areas it, ha- it occurs naturally, there's a lot of sort of truffle farming going on now in the UK, which is relatively new. So if you think that you could offer that to, if you've got a destination farm, for example, if you've got a glamping site or um, a vineyard or something where, that is attracting people to, to come and look and, around and go on tours, then if you grow truffles you, you, twofold, you can, you can produce them to sell as, as, as a food, a luxury food item. But you can also offer um, foraging foraging sessions for, for the members of the public to come along and mm-hmm. forage their own truffles and learn about truffles. And there's even sort of dogs being trained up now to, to sniff out truffles. So, so yeah, that's an area that, that is really exciting, I think, for UK farming in particular. Excellent. So, Victoria, is there any sort of particular advice you would give to a farmer think, thinking about diversifying or and, and you know choosing the right project what kind of advice would, would you give to them first piece of advice really is to do a little bit of market research and to, to see if there is a demand for what you want to diversify into because there's there's no point in even taking the first steps if if you haven't got that demand so you need to look around your local area and see what what is already in existence and what is popular, how you can improve on that, or if you can, a different a different angle that you can throw at it to make make it more unique. And I think the the unique factor is what you really really need to focus on. So have a look at your land and. See what you've got that 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 makes it unique, or create something that makes it unique. 
So the, the helicopter at Reem Hills is a great example. That didn't occur naturally. You know, they've brought that in and there's a lot of alternative um, accommodation out there that you can bring in. Another example is on our website is a, is a farm called, um, I think it's in Sussex. It's called Quantock Lakes, actually. Uh, Quantock Lakes in Somerset. They, they began diversifying by literally digging out lakes on the farm and creating two lakes. And that became then a place where people wanted to come and spend time. They wanted to sit out. They wanted to come and get married there. So a marquee was erected and that moved on because there was so much demand for the for the, for the um, area, for the venue. That mm. moved into them creating um, a barn, a brand new barn on the on the site. And now it's a really successful wedding and events business. And I think that that was a really good example of how the the demand was considered before the diversification. So it kind of grew organically. So yeah, yeah, I think that's that those are the main two pieces of advice that really I, I would I would give is to first of all think about the demand, do some market research, ask people, talk to people in the area about what they want to see, what they would use, and then think about something unique and, that, and think about how you're going to make your farm different to what's out there already. So, so in, in, in terms of, of, of marketing the idea, I mean, clearly that's a very important and crucial area. Any tips for that at all? Yeah, I'm, I'm really passionate about, <clears throat> about marketing, actually. We, we come across a lot of farmers who have got a great idea for the business. They've, they've got a business plan. They've got some uh, money. They, they know what they want to do and they know how to, how to go about setting it up. But they, they come to a point where they need to market their business and they just don't, maybe they, they're not used to social media and it becomes a little bit of a of a, an issue because how can you expect to attract people to your diversification if you haven't marketed it? So marketing is really important and, and it doesn't have to be expensive either. All of the social media platforms are free to join and, and I would advise any business to get across at least four platforms so facebook twitter linkedin and instagram as, as just as a start if you can get a, a youtube channel brilliant if you're aiming it at younger people like say you've got high ropes about um high ropes activity or you, you're doing scare fest or something and you're aiming at a younger market then think about things like tiktok because you you can market your business on there for free as a start off, and then you can put small amounts of advertising money behind that if you want to promote the course as well. Um, get yourself a good website. That's a that's a bit of a, a must have now for for any business really. And again, it doesn't have to be expensive. I'd recommend WordPress. I've used it before, and um, there are other platforms that you can try, like Wix, which are very user friendly and um if you get maybe a little bit of help or advice from somebody who sets up websites get them to train you on how to use it as well so that you can update it and then it's just a case of linking in things that you're posting up on your um social media 
keep your website updated, link link the, the two, get people to visit the website by posting your website out on social media, get people to interact, become part of the online community, um, you know, follow the local businesses, follow the people in your trade and get to know them. And, it, and because these networking events um, are all happening online at the moment, so you can learn off people who've already been there and done that or who can give you some advice or who might know a contact who can help you. Mm-hmm. So that's another another um, way of marketing yourself is just doing it in person via networking events. How, how much startup capital would you need for this or, or does that just depend on, on the project? Yeah, totally. It's it's different for, for different projects. Some, some like energy production and um, thing diversifications that require a lot of equipment and a lot of planning then some companies will help you fund that so if you're like an energy going to be producing energy you need to approach the energy supplier to see how they can help your local authority they will be able to point in the right direction as to what funding is available in your area and people who can give you some advice perhaps um, a business hub in your area or a business mentor who's got some experience in that area. Get going and visiting other farms and, and chatting to other farmers who've diversified, it will all help you to access that funding. But yeah, generally there is capital needed for pretty much all diversification projects. But like I said before, if, you, if you're going to open a dog walking field, it's it's minimal. But if, if you want to build a massive holiday park or, it's, uh, you know, a, a, an attraction like um, a scare fest or even, you know, glamping pots, then you, you do need some capital. But there is, there is help available and advice available. Excellent. OK, well, I'll just pass you on to Gwen. We've almost come to the end of uh, our questions, but you've got one final one, I think, Gwen. Yeah. Mm hmm. And I have read um, reports both in the US and also in the UK um, that show that farm diversification um, is very much a female-led domain. Have you been, uh, what's your take on this or what have you observed in terms of who's the driving force behind um, farm diversification projects? Yeah, I mean, um, we've we've come across a lot of women who've who've driven the diversification and i think in traditional farming families it can sometimes be the case that um it's quite male a male dominated business over you know traditionally but women seem to be coming to the forefront now because they are they are thinking outside the box and they are bringing their sort of other skills to to farming and they're driving change and, and I've written an article actually on on farm diversification uh, on farm diversity um it's on the website and it's about di- winning over your family when you want to diversify because sometimes mm-hmm. it can be the case that someone in the family has got a great idea usually somebody younger possibly female as well and they're not being listened to by the family so there are some things that you can do to try and win your family over. 
Um, and there are some great examples out there of women who have who, driven diversification. And one of them is um, Celia Gaze from the Wellbeing Farm. And um, I know Celia from um, through Farm Diversity. We've been up to the Wellbeing Farm, which is now a, a wedding events venue and a corporate events venue as well in, in uh, near Blackburn in the in the um, hills up there. Great. Yeah, okay. thank you. Well, we will be interviewing Celia um, next. <laughs> so, yes. yeah. <laughs> She'll tell you all about it, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> she, she's got a really interesting story and she's been up and down. She's been right to the bottom and back up again. Thank you, Victoria, for sharing some very helpful insight and advice. It seems that Farm Diversity magazine is a great resource for advice and inspiring stories about farm diversification. So this was part one of our look at farm diversification and how it can benefit farmers. Next week, we'll be speaking to someone who has taken the plunge and gone through the experience of diversifying the farm that then became an award-winning venue, Celia Gaze. Yes, I'm really looking forward to chatting to Celia. Her journey was not an easy ride, but her perseverance paid off at the end and we can all learn a lot from her experience. So that's all for this time. Thanks very much indeed for listening and please join us again next time. Bye bye for now.